My name is Deborah Lee Smith. I am an actor, a filmmaker, and a mental health advocate, and I am the Hustle. Welcome to the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, a weekly experience where produced screenwriter and podcaster Daniel Tuttle sets out to educate and inspire artists and entrepreneurs all over the world with the stories and challenges of those hustling towards their success. Hello, 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 League of Hustle, and welcome back to The Hustle. My name is Daniel Tuttle, your host, as always. First, I just want to say thank you so much for all the comments about part one of our conversation with Deborah Lee Smith that we released last week. Deborah's amazing, and I'm so glad you enjoyed it. We can't wait to release the next two episodes, including the one today, part two of my conversation with her. But first, I just have to say a few things. First of all, if you're enjoying this show and you just found it, thank you so much for listening. Truly appreciate it. Please subscribe, leave a review. That always helps us get noticed on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Please share with your friends if you think this is helpful. If you're gaining anything from this, please tell your friends. Also, email us, hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com, and follow us, Twitter, LA Hustlecast, and Hollywood Hustle Podcast on Instagram. You can also follow me on TikTok at Bearded Writer, like a writer of stories. I'd appreciate it. I uh, I haven't posted in a little bit, but I'm going to start posting again soon, hopefully. But anyways, enough of that stuff. Let's get on to part two of my conversation with Deborah Lee Smith. Deborah talks about getting into producing, how she got there, what she does in her films, and what each kind of producer does, which the answer may surprise you. Also, we talk about her number one focus still being acting and how she uses producing to keep that goal alive and how she uses it to her advantage. So please enjoy this part two with producer, actress, mental health advocate, and amazing person, Deborah Lee Smith. Let the hustle begin. So you were there. How long were you in Australia? I was there for almost seven years, like six years. And what was kind of the driving force to bring you back here? So I moved to Australia when I was 21, and then I was there until, yeah, I was about 27. You know, it's so funny because I think that we have times throughout our lives where our psyche is like, wait a second, what are you doing with your life? And that was definitely one of those times. <laughs> I had, I was actually looking at getting a degree at, to be a surveyor because I did really enjoy what I was doing. I enjoyed the creative side, I enjoyed managing people, I was making good money, and I, I was relatively happy. I was living with, you know, my boyfriend at the time, and then who became my husband, and then his best friend. And so the three of us were like living in a house together. Like, I, I really was enjoying myself. And then I started looking at getting a degree in that. And very soon after, I started getting some very weird neurological symptoms. I thought that it was early onset MS. I was having difficulty focusing. I was having pain. I felt like my limbs were on fire. All sorts of different physical ailments that that are concurrent with like lupus or MS or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I went and got a bunch of tests. And because I was getting all of those tests, I couldn't work on site because just like in, you know, the film industry, you where you have to do physicals, you know, if you're a big star on something, we were doing physicals in construction, you know, every six months to make sure that we were fit. And so I couldn't work in construction while I was having these medical issues. And I realized now that it was a panic attack for like months mm. that I was having. And I think it was because my body was telling me 
or my brain was telling my body, hold on a second, what are you doing with your life? This is not actually what you're meant to do. And during those times, I started listening to some more podcasts. This is like when podcasts were first starting. And so I started listening to podcasts about acting and it just lit a fire in me again to be like, wait a second, I totally missed this part of my life. Like, what am I doing? And so I went to NIDA, which is the National Institute of Dramatic Art in Australia, and did a six-month program with them in Brisbane. And it just reminded me like, oh, wait, this is actually what I want to do. Like, what the heck am I doing? So I moved back to LA and uh, I'm very grateful because my mom lives here. So I was able to, you know, just like very easily slot back into life here. And I've pretty much never looked back. Wow. We've talked a lot of deep questions obviously during this already. That was good. Deeper than I expected to go, which I love. I love conversations like this. So let me ask you a simple yeah. question. If it is simple at all. What is your favorite thing about Los Angeles? Ooh, the people, like my friends. I know that that's, mm-hmm. you know, like not really about like LA because that would be like anywhere, but mm-hmm. I've just found some incredible people in LA who are just so giving and really took like, you know, find my tribe to an nth degree when I got here. And I've been so lucky to find an incredible group of people. And and on the opposite side, other than traffic and smog, what is your least favorite part about LA? Oh, goodness. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, the lack of nature and of seasons like I loved yeah. I loved Berkeley for the fact that we were I would walk to school and I would feel like I was on the East Coast and we had mm-hmm. incredible seasons up there. We didn't really get snow, but we got all all the rest of the weather patterns. And I, <laughs> I really wish that L.A. had that for sure. We, we had a revelation once on the show that because we were talking about mental health mm-hmm. and how you can get really depressed in LA easily. And one of the things we started bringing, talking about was that the seasons don't change yep. or it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it changes. And because of that, there's no exterior change yep. for you and how mentally that can, where you just feel stuck in the same thing because there's no physical, you know, scene break. Yes. There's no scene change yes. for you. Uh, from the actor uh, way to look at it. And so how that could possibly affect you mentally is nothing changes it stays the same and then you feel stuck because your exterior is not changing in any way but yeah that was something we talked about and i was like man that's that's so interesting to think about Mm -hmm. um so let's let's dig in yeah like you said you're a producer an actress and a mental health advocate which in the entertainment industry all three are very (laughs) necessary so let's start with producing you obviously went to school for it in australia I've got your master's in filmmaking. What was the first step you took towards actively producing something? Mm. I mean, first of all, I would say that it's funny because my producing degree in Australia was not necessary. I would not say that it was helpful at all. (laughs) You know, it's so funny because going from Berkeley, like I was a double major English lit and theater and Mm. Berkeley has one of the best English programs in the world. And I was a, you know, straight A 4.7 GPA person in high school and then I went to Berkeley and I could not get over a B plus on a paper in in my English program and that drove me crazy so that was that was my like academic career and then I go to Australia (laughs) and I remember this one class where again master's program 
where I had to create a television show and then pitch it to actual producers in Australia. And this was mm -hmm. our entire job for the entire semester was to develop this show and then pitch it. And so, I mean, I had a huge pitch deck. I had a budget. Like, I just really went crazy. And on the day of the presentation, there was other students who did not have their presentations ready because they were like, oh, man, I was going to finish it. But like the surf was really good this weekend. So I didn't finish my presentation. And I was like, are you serious? Like, I have been working on this for like four months straight and you just went surfing? Like, what the crap? So that was my... This is a master's program. Like, you have to actually work to get Wait, into this. What are you thinking? <laughs> so, I mean, that was that was interesting. But it's so funny because my producing, I mean, besides the fact that, again, like I remembered that I sort of was a producer in high school, which I had totally mm -hmm. forgotten about. But my producing really started because I just started saying yes to opportunities in order to help people. And so my first experience was I was judging a theater competition in L.A. that I used to participate in as a kid. And I met a woman called Jonica Schwartzman, who is a friend of mine now. But I met her at the drama competition. We like sat next to each other at lunch. And so when I moved back to L.A., I reached out to her and she was the only person that I knew from L.A. I mean, even though I'm from L.A., I don't. I didn't know anyone in the industry. There was no preferential treatment as far as that's concerned. So I reached out to her and I was like, hey, so I've, I've moved back to L.A. in order to pursue acting. I would love to, you know, get lunch with you and whatever. So we got lunch and then she had a table read for a feature that she had written that she was going to star in and produce called Parker's Anchor. And she was like, do you want to come and just read the stage directions for us? There's going to be a casting director there, Elizabeth Barnes, who would get to meet her, you know, unpaid, obviously, but just like come and whatever. And I was like, absolutely. So I did that table read and then I met Liz and then actually auditioned for one of the roles in Parker's Anchor. And that role was only on set for maybe two days out of a, you know, 15 day shoot, like a very small part. And I said to Jenica, you know, like, hey, I have to travel to Arkansas anyways for this role. Do you want an extra set of hands on set? Like, I'm happy to just be whatever. And and mm -hmm. so I ended up helping throughout that entire production and very quickly made myself indispensable. And I mean, this is where my managing of a construction site really came into play that I handle stress really, really well and can problem solve like nobody's business. So as problems were coming up on set, as they always do, I was really able to solve them in the quickest and easiest way possible. And so by the end of that production, they made me a producer on that project. And so that was that was really the start. And then, you know, from there, this Christmas movie that I'm about to go shoot will be my fifth feature that I've produced in LA in like six and a half years. So I've produced about a feature a year, which is, you know, pretty, pretty awesome if I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, that's wild. It reminds me a lot of like Alexandra yeah. Boylan where, you know, taking your own destiny, whatever you want to call it, by your own mm -hmm. hands and making your own opportunities yeah. and building your own 
reputation mm-hmm. in the business and doing something you love while you're doing mm-hmm. all of that as well. So I, you know, I have a list here of kind of the other, some of the other stuff you've mm-hmm. done. Uh, were part of producer and some of them as an yeah. actress. I just want to kind of go through it because you know, you have you have associate producer for two of them, which is Last Three Days and Parker's Anchor. Producer for Here a While, and then executive producer for the the Shasta Triangle. So I just want to go through real quick because you know I think a lot of people always one of the big questions people ask is like what is that title? <laughs> like what is an associate producer over a right. producer. What is an executive producer over, you know, just mm-hmm. a producer? So if we, I just want to go through kind of each one and be like, if you can kind of just talk about, you know, I guess what your role with that film as a producer was and kind of what you did either on set or behind the scenes for that film. So the first one obviously is one I know you were, you were really passionate about, which mm-hmm. was Here a While. It was a big one. I remember talking to you about it. I remember when you were planning, I think, getting ready mm-hmm. to shoot it. And then I remember when you were done shooting and all this stuff and, uh, you know, some of the amazing casts yeah. you got for that film. What was your role with that film? I know you, I think you had a small part in it mm-hmm. also as mm-hmm. an actress, I if did, I remember yeah. correctly. So what was your role behind the scenes? What was kind of your, as a producer, what was your thing on that, on yeah. that film? Well, I can sort, I, I can answer, I'll answer that and also answer how, what my role is in all of them because for the most mm-hmm. part, my role in all of them has been very similar and the title okay. is dependent on who the produce the main producer was and what they wanted to give out as far as titles are concerned. I mean, so like associate producer is is often considered the kind of the smallest producer role, but last three days, I mean, Ann Parker's both of those are the ones where I'm an, accredited as an associate producer. I was basically did everything that I did on here a while. The only difference is that I didn't handle the money, which is what I handled as well on mm-hmm. here a while. So I was still a creative producer. I was still there every day. I was still filling out all the permit paperwork and, you know, really being the onset producer to problem solve whatever needed to happen. Again, it was just sort of like what was offered to me at the time and those were the two first films that i did so i think that there is some there is a bit of a hierarchy as far as like you know graduating from one level to the other but again like associate producers i worked just as hard on those two films as i did on here a while i would say with here a while i mean that that one i was very lucky enough to be they the writer writers team actually called me they found me through i don't even we actually never figured out how this person who referred me (laughs) knew about me i don't know and this has happened several times which i'm just like gosh the internet is crazy that this can happen and Mm -hmm. so i got a call one day from this writer and he was like hey i have this project it's fully funded we have heard great things about you. We are specifically looking for an LA-based producer who has shot a film before in Portland because the film was set in Portland. And I had shot another film, The Shasta Triangle, up in Portland. And so I read the script and it was absolutely blew my mind how you know incredible it was as far as the story and so touching. And so I called him back and was like, absolutely, I would be happy to help. And... We hired a casting director and then ended up shooting. I think I was originally called in April and we shot in July. So it was a very quick turnaround. It was an amazing experience. It was definitely difficult because myself and an old producing partner of mine 
were the only actual producers on set and we probably needed more help than we had. And so, I mean, we were the line producer, the creative producer, sometimes the first AD. <laughs> like we really had to do everything for that project. <laughs> and yeah, but we had an incredible cast, you know, Anna Camp, Joe Latrulio and Stephen Strait, like three wonderful, wonderful actors who, who brought that script to life in, in such a beautiful way. And I'm very grateful for for that experience that I had. And I feel like that goes towards your activist roots a little bit too, because I remember how proud you were of the content of mm-hmm. the film. Because if I remember correctly, it's a film about someone who decides to end their own life. It's, it's actually based on a true person, uh, but we couldn't state mm-hmm. that in the movie because this person has passed and her family did not... Mm-hmm want her name to be on the film but it it's about a woman with terminal cancer who uh ends up deciding to use the death with dignity act which is a specific law in oregon in order to end her life using you know doctor assisted they call it doctor assisted death they don't like to say you know doctor assisted suicide or anything like that because it isn't it isn't uh i mean it, it i mean it is a choice but it's it's um like there's very specific rules around when you can end your life in that way. And suicide has such a negative connotation mm-hmm. to it of certain selfishness and things like that. And so I think finding a better term for something like that is For important. sure. And actually, like in the mental health community now, what, what you're supposed to say or what is proper is to say that someone died by suicide, not of suicide, mm-hmm. because suicide is a is just like depression. It's like a... It is a clinical thing that is changing your life in a specific way with a specific outcome. And so right. that project was was really special and continues to be very special because of how it uh, affects people. And we had, you know, we premiered at Napa Film Festival and there was people there who and we've had other people who've reached out who've said like one in particular this man came up and he said that he is he's a doctor but his father wanted to use the whatever whatever law in in, because it it depends per state so basically but the death with dignity act and he did not have the courage to allow his dad to do that even so he as a doctor could have given his dad the medication in order to end his life because his dad Mm. had yeah had like terrible cancer was like whatever and and he said Mm. that he really for years regretted the fact that he didn't because the last you know few months of his dad's life were were horrendous were really really horrible and one Mm. of the rules with this with this law is that you have to be lucid like you can't you can't give that to someone you know, after they don't have the mental fortitude anymore to make that choice. Like, it has to be a personal choice. And he said that watching this movie finally gave him the grace and the, like, ability to forgive himself for the fact that he hadn't allowed his dad to to die in that way, which was so, yeah. I mean, like, that's why we make movies is to be able to touch people in Mm -hmm. such a profound way yeah the the film that i have right now that's going through the festival circuit that i co-wrote and uh, produced on is about a couple dealing with the after effects of a miscarriage and more from the woman's Mm -hmm. perspective but this idea of how do you as a couple deal with that together and alone 
and and you move forward and, and it's a beautiful film i've seen it oh yeah yeah you have, you have seen it thank you so much and i think you know hearing some of the feedback we got from i think you know the the, the film was shown to a group of female mm-hmm. directors was just really fantastic so I, I can imagine you know when you hear stories like that and even like you know i hear which i'm sure you'll hear from your podcast where which we hear sometimes from just doing this podcast is like how this thing you do that can seem so industrial mm-hmm. and so normal you know you're putting a film together and you do understand the weight of the content but you're put you know a lot of times you have to think in that professional mindset right. of i'm putting this together personal effects that that can have on somebody out there and that has that effect i think as a filmmaker for you is that do you feel some sort of pressure for like your next film when you make something so important like that mm. to make to continue to tell stories like mm. that or do you go, you know, I was able to tell this story and I'm so grateful I was able to tell this story, but I can move on to something, you know, the next film, which is about a shark that talks, right. you know what I mean? Like, you know, not that you made a film like that, but do you put pressure on yourself to make more films with that kind of weight yeah, to it? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't because I, you know, it's funny, like out of the, f- f- you know, five films, they all have very different uh, topics and genres. I've got like a, you know, sci-fi female-led um, thriller. I've got Parker's, which is a, you know, kind of a rom-com. We've got Last Three Days, which uh, I star in as well. And that one is a neo-noir like cop thriller. And then Here a While, which is, you know, indie drama. And then the one that I've got that I'm shooting next week is a Christmas movie. And then the film that I just wrote the screenplay of is a historical drama based on my own family's life, actually. So I... Wait, you wrote a period piece? I know, right? (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Look how shocked I am. (laughs) Yeah. But I think for me, it's really, you know, because I've been thinking about this as far as like, what is my voice? Like, what is the thing that that sets me apart as a filmmaker? And I think for me, it's really about whatever story that you're telling, just like having it with just a tiny bit of a different perspective. Again, here a while is is a it's a it's a family drama. It's about a sister coming home and telling her brother that she's dying. But it's also has this other element of like really exposing the this or or like bringing to light the importance of this law and how how much that gives people the ability to actually live their life in the end. Like even though here a while is a drama, there's a lot of hope and beauty in that film because it's about this woman deciding how she wants to spend the last few months of her life instead of leading it up to the illness that has, you know, taken taken over her body. And so I really think that for me, it's just about telling a story that people can connect with, but just doing it in a little bit of a different way, which is why I think I like superhero movies so much, because that's you know similar where it's just like universal themes but let's let's uh just have it a little bit off kilter do i have a idea to pitch to you do you (laughs) not not particularly a superhero there's no we'll talk about later yeah Uh, let me just pitch this right now so imagine (laughs) Um. i've never been pitched on a podcast before i've been pitched a lot of times never on a podcast (laughs) so 
you were able to pre solve and like you said, you you know, you've obviously acted. I think you're the co-star in mm-hmm. last three days, mm-hmm. I believe, yep. correct? The female lead. And then you also have the the small part in Here a While and, and some of these other yeah. places. How easy or hard is it for you as a producer to not go, That's me. That's my I'm the lead. That's Ooh, my part. that's easy for me, actually, to you know, give over a role. I, I'm very much of the opinion that our sensibility as an actor, who we are as people needs to show up in a role. And so I definitely can can read characters and be like, ooh, that's not a set of clothing I want to wear. Leather pants or plastic pants, no desire. That is not my style. Mm But of course, you know, like even obviously no one can see, but like today I have an audition for a character that's that's a little bit different than the type that I normally wear. So my makeup is different than normal. My hair is different than normal, like all of those sorts of things, because I'm I'm playing into a bit more of a Aubrey Plaza sort of character um, that I'm auditioning for mm-hmm. today. But uh, and so I think for me, that part is easy. The thing that I have really decided at this point is that I am not producing projects that I don't have a role in as an actor, especially because I'm an indie producer. Like if I was in the studio system, obviously that would be different, but I'm not. And and for me, acting is still my number one. So if I'm going to be giving so much of my life to a project, it's really important that I get a chance to play. And for me, that's, you know, mm-hmm. inhabiting a role. Do you want to stick close to features or would you like to move into like a series? I would love, yes, I would love to, to move into television. You know, it's interesting because I, I'm i very grateful for all of the work that I have done in the last, you know, six and a half years that I've been in LA. But it has been difficult in some ways because I've put producing, not necessarily first, but because that's something that has now come so easily to me. I mean, I get pitched projects all the time and get offered to produce things all the time. I get it, I get it, I get it. I'll shut up, I'll shut up. (laughs) No hints. I get asked to produce things all the time now. And so like, I feel like that part of my life is very locked in. And because of it has meant that I haven't, nurtured my acting career as much as I wish I would have. Although, I mean, it's interesting because I had a consultation with a casting director a couple of weeks ago because it has been really difficult for me to find a manager and, and reps in general. Just like I have not found reps that are really my people. And I think a lot of the reason for that is because I will reach out to reps and they will tell me, you know, like, oh, you're you look exactly like everyone else. You know, like we already have five of you on our roster, et cetera. And so instead of becoming, you know, discouraged and and or or instead of like reaching out to every single manager under the sun, I am very picky. Like I've got like a list of people that I want to work with that I know will elevate my career and I'm not willing to sort of deviate from that. And of course, I'm not like there's five, like I've got a list of like 50 managers that I really would love to work with. And so when when I get those no's, I go, okay, well, I'm just going to go make another movie then. It For me, it's not like I'm just going to keep beating my head against the wall in order to try and get this, you know, get through these gatekeepers or whatever. I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to go make something then. And 
the downside of that is the fact that I haven't, I mean, I've auditioned for television maybe five times in my six and a half years in LA and, and that's it. And it's, um, it's because I haven't, um, really taken the time, honestly, to develop and nurture the casting director relationships that I that I need to in order to like work in television. So that is now my primary focus is to is to start, you know, pivoting a little bit more to that because my producing and like indie film career, I've got that down pat. <laughs> right. So so not advocating people DM you like pitches at all. <laughs> Uh, please do not do that. I will be very mad if Deborah goes, what did you do to me? I will be very upset. I have to say, I, again, talking about like people reaching out to me. So this is so interesting. And this is where, I mean, pitches, sometimes, sometimes they work out really well. So I was reached out to in the summer, maybe like in August, from someone who I honestly don't remember how he, I don't know how we originally met. <laughs> I don't think we've ever met in person. And he reached out to me and just asked my advice about a pitch deck that he was putting together for a project. And I just, you know, I I love helping people and I love imparting any knowledge that I have when it comes to producing. And so I gave him my feedback. And then about two months later, he reached out again and he was like, hey, I've got this pilot. Would you like to read it? Here's a a pitch pitch deck. (laughs) Right. Different. It was a different project than the pitch deck, but he was like, I've got this pilot. So he he sent me this pilot script and I read it and it's incredible. And I'm now attached to that pilot script as an actor and like a creator on it. And we're now taking it around and it's, I mean, it's one of the best pilots I've ever read. So it's, I'm very excited for for where that project is going to go. And I mean, and I think that that's where, you know, talk talking about making your own work, talking about like all of the different doors that people use in order to get to the career that they want. I mean, clearly for me, you know, doing a million casting director workshops and, and developing relationships that way, maybe that's just not the way that I'm going to get on television. Maybe it's that we're going to sell this show and then I'm going to be, you know, uh, whatever role on this television show. And then casting directors will meet me because of that. You know, like there's so many different, you know, ways that we get the careers that we want, I think. And so I think, you know, just in the past year, I've really realized like I've always created my own work. I've always created my own opportunities. So why is it going to be any different in television? It, it could be exactly the same. I mean, the path is never right. straight, right? It's not a straight line. I got my film produced because I have the right. show. Mm-hmm. And I met with two ladies because I was ta- wanted to talk to them about being on my show. And then, you know, uh, as you mm-hmm. know, Pilar and Katina. And, and then they, I, while talking to them, I was like, oh, you know, I'd love for you to read this short film I just wrote just to get your feedback as women. And from there, we, we f- produced it, filmed it, and right. made it. And there we go, part two of our conversation with Deborah Lee Smith. Next week will be the finale, part three. We'll dive more into her podcast, More Than You See. We'll discuss more things that she's working on right now outside of producing. It's a great end to the conversation. I hope you'll come back for it. Again, follow us on Twitter, LA Hustlecast. Follow us on Instagram, Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Follow me on TikTok. 
bearded writer as a writer of stories email us hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com tell us do you want to be a producer do you have any questions for deborah i can connect you with her i can talk to her for you so email us we'd love to hear from you make sure you subscribe please leave a review on apple Podcasts. that always helps us get found by other people and word of mouth is also amazing so please tell your friends about this podcast if you're enjoying it once again thank you so much for listening and as always keep up the hustle
And there we go, part two of our conversation with Deborah Lee Smith. Next week will be the finale, part three. We'll dive more into her podcast, More Than You See. We'll discuss more things that she's working on right now outside of producing. So great into the conversation. I hope you'll come back for it. Again, follow us on Twitter, LA Hustlecast. Follow us on Instagram, Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Follow me on TikTok bearded writer as a writer of stories email us hollywood hustle podcast at gmail.com tell us do you want to be a producer do you have any questions for deborah i can connect you with her i can talk to her for you so email us we'd love to hear from you make sure you subscribe please leave a review on apple Podcasts. that always helps us get found by the people and word of mouth is also amazing so please tell your friends about this podcast if you're enjoying it once again thank you so much for listening and as always keep up the hustle